Good morning. morning. Welcome to the first NBC Family Chapel of 2007. Does it feel like it's 2007? 2008? Here, 2009. It's old. It's old. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, It's our privilege to meet as colleagues. once a month to uh, celebrate what God's doing in this place and in our lives. Uh, Dr. Bob Huffaker is going to be the preacher of the morning. Uh, President Graves will introduce him uh, in a bit. Well, I would just want to share something with you before we invite uh, Pastor Bob to come and, and share from his heart today. Um, Many of you know over the years we have been in a partnership with Bel Air Ranch Apartments. And, uh, and uh, in October of this past year, uh, we completed a transaction uh, that gave us the money to pay off all of the indebtedness on Nazarene Bible College. So the good news is we begin January 7, January of 2007, debt-free as a college. Now I I can't uh, review uh, all that went into that this morning. Time does not permit. Uh, having been a part of the Board of Trustees through the process, I can tell you that it has been a long process that culminated uh, to our favor. And we're thankful today for the way that God blessed the visionary leadership, Dr. Sanders, and others that worked along beside him to bring us to this point today. And so we celebrate that. God is good, isn't he? And we're just delighted today to have uh, Dr. Bob Huffaker, uh, a dear friend, uh, sharing with us. First met Bob when we pastored together in uh, West Texas. He was in Hereford, and I was in Amarillo. And uh, it was in his days in Hereford where I believe I could say that that God began to do a work in him that, uh, that I was privileged to witness as he built a church that uh, was really on the verge of closing when he went there uh, to over 500 in attendance. And uh, then God called him to uh, Grove City, Ohio. Now, uh, I must confess, I never thought Bob would ever leave Hereford. He was the bishop of that town. He was moving fast to becoming the Pope of West Texas. (laughs) And and I I never thought he he would leave Hereford. But here's a man who who followed the leadership of God. That was primary, obeying God that we heard last night. He went to Grove City that was running 500 or so in attendance. And uh, then to see, uh, we passed her together. We were on the same district in Ohio, but we were 70 miles apart. 
And I watched that church under the leadership of Bob and Libby Huffaker become uh, a magnificent witness to the grace and the power of God. And today that church has on a Sunday 3,500 people or so on a Sunday morning on Saturday night services. And uh, I, you know he retired from pastoring but he has not retired from ministry. He is being used all over the country now uh, going and sharing and, and, and uh, giving out of his heart to the development of other ministers. So it's appropriate that he would share with us this morning. And before he comes, uh, I want to mention Gene Anderson. Brother Gene, back there, uh, Gene followed me in Amarillo, Texas and tried to pick up the pieces of that church that I left for him. And he stayed 10 years and did a great job there. And so we have a little West Texas connection here today. Would you welcome my friend Bob Huffaker as he uh, comes this morning? Thank you, Dr. Graves. I, I tell you, it's a real honor and a privilege for me to be here. You know, I could stand before 3,000 people and not have any fear at all, but when you put me in front of 60 professors and, and teachers, you know, I come with fear and trembling. I'm afraid you're going to grade me. <laughs> and uh, I... Yeah, I'm going to sit down right now. Uh, yes, and uh, certainly, I was thrilled to death when I heard that uh, Dr. Graves was coming. I guess because of our friendship, because I knew that he still had a pastor's heart, and uh, he hadn't been a DS long enough to totally backslide. And I felt like that he could uh, come in here and be exactly what this uh, what this uh, college needed. And uh, so it is, uh, it is a real privilege. And then, of course, to see Gene again, pastored with him in Texas, also in Arkansas. And, uh, and then Brother Self that pastored in Arkansas again. So, you know, when, you, when you're with people that know you, it keeps you really honest. <laughs> you know, I had some good stories I was going to tell, but I can't do it now. I wasn't sure they were going to be here. <laughs> But, uh, but I've, I've always uh, uh, loved Colorado. Man, if you can't sit in here and just look outside and worship, something is wrong with you. And, of course, I've had connections with Colorado Springs uh, from the time I was a kid. Uh, a couple of my sisters lived here, and we'd be in and out here a lot. And, and then a year and a half ago, when I retired, we talked about where we were going to go. We still owned a home in Hereford, Texas, but that is not the garden spot of the world. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, we decided we would move here, and uh, we've been really thrilled that we have. God has kept us fairly busy. I did an interim at Pueblo first for about six months, uh, back uh, starting last uh, Easter and up through September. And uh, so, so it was different. It was, it was quite a shift uh, uh, for me, but, uh, but it was good for me. And uh, you, you, you know, once you, you pastor in, in, in really the larger churches, it, it almost is culture shock then to go back and to catch a mindset of, uh, of churches that, that might be somewhat smaller. 
but uh, but it was a real challenge and wonderful wonderful people there and and I think uh, some tremendous days are in store for that church as well well uh, who who is Bob Huffaker <laughs> uh, if you only knew uh, he was this kid that was born and raised on a farm out in West Texas near Lubbock, Texas, planned to be a farmer all of his life until he was 18 years of age and uh, felt a call of God on his life. And uh, so I went to Bethany Nazarene College and uh, uh, graduated there, found a wife, graduated. I, I didn't graduate uh, sum cum laude. I, I did graduate Lottie Halcoom, I think, uh, and um, uh, I, of course grew up in that little church in Grassland, Texas, uh, you know, small community, had an entering and leaving on the same sign as you went through, you know, and uh, it, was a, it was kind of a church that uh, was not spiritual to select a, a hymn before, or song, before worship, you know. And as Bert's getting up, Bert, come on up and lead us in some singing. Okay, well, anybody got a special, anybody got a song they want to sing today, you know, as he comes up? Nelda, come on up and play for us. Come play the piano. No, let Bernice do it. She's better than I am. No, Nelda, you do it, you know. But as Bert comes on up, you know. And that was my understanding of church. And uh, how you how you did church. So the first few years that I pastored it, I had to do a lot of unlearning. Uh, <laughs> you see, all of us carry with us, I guess, some baggage of what we learned in the past. And uh, so, uh, anyhow, it, it's been an interesting journey. My first church was down at Clarendon. You know where that is, Harold, don't you? Uh, about 60 miles east of Amarillo. Had three little ladies in their 80s. That was my congregation. Now, I didn't, didn't have much of a nursery department in that <laughs> church, but uh, I had to work fast because I didn't have much of a nucleus to build on. And God helped us, and uh, so then we pastored another church in Denton and, and then on into Little Rock, uh, Arkansas for nine years, and then Hereford 13, then Grove City. It was an incredible thing at what God did. The changes that had to take place in my life so that God could use me. I still marvel that he ever, ever allowed me to be a pastor of such a dynamic, growing church. Uh, as uh, Especially the last two churches that I pastored. And, uh, and I still don't know why, you know. Uh, I was the kind of a guy that if I would be around somewhere... Uh, I would be the last guy they would pick out to be the pastor of that church. I remember when my uh, youth pastor, Mark Hale, came. He wanted to interview to, to, to uh, um, come as a youth pastor there. And I was out. Uh, it happened to be cleanup day and working around. And he came to me. He thought I was a custodian. And he said, can you tell me where the senior pastor is? And I said, you're looking at him. No, he said, I mean the senior pastor of this church. <laughs> and uh, he still laughs about that. And... Uh, that kind of a thing. But it's amazing what God can do if you have a heart for people, you have a heart for God, and, and, and you're willing to be teachable and learn uh, what uh, God wants for you at the time and the place that you are. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, 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 I... My biggest dream, I guess, when I started out as a pastor... And because of my background was that one day I would pastor a church that ran a hundred in attendance. 
I mean, churches like Amarillo first, that was so beyond me. Not to speak of a Denver first, or a Nashville first, or a Bethany first, Pasadena first. These guys were, they were, they were huge. I mean, they were huge. They had incredible talent and ability, and they did. But I could never, ever see myself. Because you see, I was hoping that one day I could pastor a church of a hundred and paid $100 a week in salary. Told my church board that not too long before I left there in Grove City, and they said, well, Pastor, if you want us to pay you 100 bucks a week, we'll do that for you. And I said, no, it's all right. You just go ahead and give me the salary I'm getting. But, uh, but, but, but it's been an interesting journey. And, uh, and I've thought about the college here. And I've thought about uh, the purpose of this college. And I, I was sitting on the boards when they were uh, the advisory boards and the other uh, school boards and Bethany Nazarene College and so forth when they were making plans for this. And I was excited uh, that we were uh, having NBC because I thought it would be a place that could uh, help train and equip people uh, pastors and evangelists and educators uh, to prepare them for ministry and so I've always been excited about this and even now I, it's, it's a landmark when people say where are you pastoring and I, uh, I'm not pastoring I'm retired here where, you know, where do you go to church I go first church in the Nazarene well, I don't know where, well it's out by that Nazarene Bible College uh, you know, I, I, I listened to all the Christmas music they were playing, and I was hearing you advertise here at NBC, and man, I was so proud, you know, that of what God is doing and has done and will continue to do uh, through this great college. And I, I, I don't even know if you as educators, uh, leaders uh, in the field of education have any idea of uh, the responsibilities that is placed upon your shoulders to equip uh, the, uh, the uh, pastors and evangelists and, and, and spiritual leaders that will go out from here uh, to try to make a difference in a really sick world. Uh, I, I, I thought about the tremendous difference uh, in our culture from when I began in Clarendon, Texas in 1962 until my final year uh, at Grove City. I, I thought about all of the changes that had taken place and all of the changes that I had to make and adjust to. It, it, it was incredible. And as I was thinking about what I might share with you a little bit today, uh, I, I thought, you know, uh, every time you turn the television on, we're at war. We're at war in Iraq. We're at war in terrorism. We're, we're at war. There's always been wars. And I thought, well, how do you, how do you, how do you prepare people? Uh, I, I begin to think, how, how is our military preparing these young men to go out into battle? It has to be an awesome responsibility as they think of ways and strategies and, and uh, to go out and to combat uh, the enemy that we fight today. And so I went back in my mind. I wonder what it was like when the first wars began. 
and how the generals and, and, the, and, and the corporals and the sergeants and, and, and whatever else brass is out there. What is it that they have to think about? Well, I'm sure in those first words they were thinking about, we've got to teach them how to keep their sword sharp and how to throw a spear and how to put on the armor. And I thought, well, what if our generals today and their strategy was thinking as we send our men and women to Iraq, what would it be like for them to say, now, okay, we're going to spend our time telling you how to sharpen your swords and how to put on an armor and how to ride a horse. And, and I thought, well, wouldn't that be ridiculous? See, we don't fight battles that way. And then as I thought about uh, these things as they went on, the wars, as they began to change, I, I, I began to think about the Civil War. It was, it was totally different. Well, they taught them how to load uh, the muzzle loaders and how to fire a cannon, how to ride a horse and, and how to march and how to blow the bugles and how to do all of these things. And they equipped them the best that they knew how as they went into battle so that their lives could be spared as much as possible. And so much was upon the training and the teaching of those soldiers that they went into battle. Then I thought about World War I. It changed altogether. It was no longer like the Civil War at all. Uh, now they had the bolt-action, high-powered rifles. They had the battleships. They had the airplanes. They had the tanks. And so they no longer taught about loading the muzzle loaders, but now how to clean their rifles where they would fire and accurately and train them how to be sharpshooters and anything to do to win the war in World War I. They were out there. My dad was a part of that. You see, each and every war, there were new weapons. There were new strategies. Someone said to me, you know, if you haven't pastored in the last five years, you really hadn't pastored. And I thought, you know, I've retired. I go out and do a lot of speaking and, and leadership conferences and, and these kind of things. And I'm thinking, you know, that's going, to be a fairly, that's going to be a fairly short window, small window of opportunity for me because the world that we're living in is changing so rapidly. It makes your head swim. And then I thought about our educators. Do they know how much the world has changed? I'm sure those of you that have been around here a while, you know that it is totally different than it was when you first began. And that's why we have to keep up with what's going on in the church world with the new books and the things that are coming out and the mega churches that are beginning to spring up everywhere. And, and how do we reach the culture that we live in today? You know, what, what kind of pastor is it going to take to reach our kind of world? And what kind of church board is it going to take to train that kind of a pastor to reach that kind of world? And what kind of parishioners is it going to take to support that kind of board, to teach that kind of pastor, support that pastor? And what kind of school, what kind of education is it going to take to prepare our young men and women, to reach our kind of world. You see, it's easy for us to say, well, bless God, this is the way we did it. And if it was good enough for us, it ought to be good enough for them. And what has happened in a lot of places, sometimes I believe that we haven't stayed up enough. 
as well as we should in order to prepare. You've seen the changes that has taken place, rapid changes that is going on in the education, online education. It, it's changed everything. So when everything changes, we go back to zero and we start over again because we must equip, we must train, we must prepare our men and our women to go and to be effective in this world. Well, we could go on, we could talk about the Korean War, we could talk about the Vietnam War, how it all changed again. They began to use defoliate and they helicopters, all these kind of things, and now the Gulf War, Afghanistan, Iraq, all of that. What a difference. Those of you who've been in military, stealth bombers, <laughs> fly under radar. Who ever heard of the such? Who could have ever imagined that somebody sitting in NORAD could shoot Saddam's son from a drone in a car going down the road? Incredible technology. Incredible. But aren't you glad that our nation, our country, has prepared, has kept up? Then we, we would be vulnerable to the world that wants to destroy us. And now the war on terrorism that goes on and on. No uniforms to fight. No faces. What a challenge. They must ever be on their toes in technology and finding ways to discover who they are. We heard just this week. They think they got the guys that did the bombing over in Africa. Praise God. I, I, can you do that? I guess. I, I think. I do, anyhow. You know, I say thank the Lord. Uh, when we come against evil. You see, each and every generation, there has to be new strategies. Because there's always change. There has to be new equipment. And new equipping. Because you see... The master terrorist, Satan himself, is seeking whom he can devour. He wants to devour anything good at all that God has done, and he's doing everything in his power. I think he knows that his days are limited, and he is having a heyday with our nation today, with our younger generation, our materialism, uh, all that goes on around us. And somehow or another, we're losing the war. I remember a, a, a video that was come out uh, from Kansas City four or five years ago. You probably have seen it. Uh, the children's department did it, I believe. We're losing our children. In 10 years, I'll be 18 years old. In 10 years, I'll be 28 years old. And it was stressing the importance, the short window of opportunity that we have to equip, to establish, and to bring people into the kingdom of God. You see, when I started out, they were saying that you had to reach someone before they were 18, uh, or you, you probably would never reach them. That age has now dropped to 12. 
If we can't reach them by then, we may never ever reach them. So the window of opportunity is getting shorter and shorter. And we as, as pastors and leaders, we must know that. We must put a lot of eggs in this basket to reach our kids and establish our kids. And that's why you as educators, you need to know these kind of things. Or you won't have the urgency about you to train and teach the people, where the pastors as they go out, where to work in the areas of ministry where they can be most effective. You see, I, I think in my day, a lot was taught about how to be a good shepherd, how to make hospital calls, how to dress. Uh, we never thought, it, we never thought in, 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 in the mega church, we never thought about churches of a thousand or two thousand or three thousand. We didn't think in those terms at all. We thought of, of churches where one pastor could be the shepherd of everybody, maybe with a secretary or, or a part-time youth pastor or music guy. We never thought in the terms of the multiple staff. But as you prepare people today, you must prepare them for the kind of world that they're going out into. You can't train them to just sharpen their swords. And so... I was thinking about what I would share with you today, the things that maybe they never taught me or I wasn't listening. Sometimes when you're in school, you're there to get a grade, <laughs> not to learn. I know there was a time when the principal or the, uh, uh, what do you call those guys that's kind of heads up the colleges and the schools? Dean, 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 old Dean Ripper. <laughs> that's a good name for that guy, Dean Ripper. Uh, some of you may know him. He brought me in one day and he said, Huffaker, you might as well go ahead and drop out of school. You're never going to make it anyway. <laughs> and probably if I'd have kept on doing like I was always doing, I probably wouldn't have. But you see, I didn't want anybody to tell me what God's plan for my life was. And I did make it. And by the way, at least in one semester, I made a four-point. <laughs> well, I frame that. I keep that thing going. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, you see, in the late 50s and 60s, early 60s, uh, they never taught me that I would have to lead people and churches through change. I thought it would always be that way. I thought that 8 out of 10 people, as it was in 1960, 8 out of 10 people would always have a knowledge of who Jesus Christ was, and people would be brought up in a Christian culture. That's how I thought it would always be, and so we could do our contest and get our buses. And, and, and I had no idea of what it would be like in the 2000s. I had no idea. I, I was never taught. I was never taught in school how, what was the correct way to take a board and a church through positive change to meet the needs of each and every culture that I was to be pastoring in. And that there would be those kind of things. Not blaming the professors and the teachers. It just wasn't in their mindset. That's why today in our changing times, that we have to be on our toes. We have to seek the power of God, the, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit as we teach those classes. And we have to teach with passion. We have to do more than facts. We have to realize that we're molding and shaping the lives of these young people. 
many of you are bigger than life itself to some of these young students that you have. Oh, I never forget old Dr. King. Thought he was the smartest theologian in the world. Probably the man that had the greatest impact on me was a man that taught me to believe in myself. Old Dr. Harold Hoyt. Called him just a year or two before he died and said, Dr. Hoyt, you'll never know what you did for me by getting me to believe in myself. My homiletics, just a comment or two. Huffaker, I think you might make it. <laughs> and I was able to share with him, probably almost shocked him to death. I, I, I think I was pastored in Grove City at then, and, and he just rejoiced with me over the phone. But you know, had I not had some of these professors, yes, there's some basics that you're going to have to teach. These are givens. They've got to know their theology. They've got to know their philosophy. They've they got to know their history. They've got to know um, most of these things that you're giving. But I believe there were some things that could have really helped me had they been focused in to the changes that these pastors were going to have to go through. I really believe that the success of any pastor going into ministry of any church of any size will be upon his ability to lead through positive change. To lead his board, to lead his church. And let me tell you, it's difficult to lead any church through change. Very difficult. One of the greatest challenges you'll ever have is to be able to change without getting changed. <laughs> you know. It's a frustrating thing to a lot of these pastors that have read up on the books and they know what happens and then they go into sometimes these little churches that have no clue that the world has changed at all. And they try to make a little change in the music. I don't know if you guys know it or not, if you've read your Bible. I don't know if this is really biblical or not, but I think it's true that when Lucifer, the musician of heaven, and a third of the angels, when they were kicked out of heaven, they all landed down here on earth in the music department. I really believe that happened. There have been more worship wars. There have been more battles over that. Good night. If you like hymns, go home, get you an eight-track and listen to them, you know? Uh, it, it, uh, I mean, you know, it, it, church is not about us. Teach these guys it's not. It's not about us, but it's about them. And, and to take our people through some of these changes is one of the most difficult things that the pastor, some don't have the courage, some don't have the leadership ability, some don't have the strength, some don't know they need to. They sit by the phone and wait for a call to a better church, you see. Pastors and churches that cannot or will not change eventually will die because the church around us is changing. Did you know that this year, 3,750 churches will close their doors for the last time? Most because they refuse to change or do not know how to change. The second thing that I never was taught a class in was about people skills. And let me tell you, if, if we don't understand when we go out to work with people, I've thought a lot of times, boy, this would be a great church if I didn't have any people to deal with. <laughs> uh, and I thought, well, no, I wouldn't get a salary, so it wouldn't be that great. But uh, 
people skills. Never had a class on people skills in all of my college career. Never did. I did have the theology, the philosophy, the psychology, the history, on and on. And of course all of these are necessary in preparation. It's a given that you've got to have that. They've got to be based soundly on their theology or, or they're in real trouble and so forth. But if young pastors were only taught the importance of people skills, it could save them a lot of heartaches. They need to read a lot of books on that. I, I, my, my worship leader that I had is an incredible guy. You other guys ought to just turn on and watch him sometime on the web. He's, he's just an, uh, incredible, knows how to bring people in presence of God. And we call him Skippy, and you know, he, he's energetic, and, but he, he's sensitive to the Spirit of God. But when he came to us, uh, we asked him uh, you know, what his strength was. He told us, said, said, well, what's you think some of your weakness? And he said, well, probably people skills. Well, I said, he's a true artist. Uh, <laughs> I said, well, I got my work cut out. And I remember after a while, sure enough, he was creating some real problems. People were getting mad at him and everything. We'd made the transition to the more contemporary worship and, you know, the blended service and the great hymns that we still do and did and, and all of that. But, but he just wasn't very good with people, and he was so right about that. So I, I got this little book that, that uh, one of my good friends, Virgil Slintz, is always trying to help me down there in, in Hereford. It is an excellent book, and I took it to him, and I said, Travis, I want you to read this book on people skills. I'm telling you, if you were a cat, it would take nine other cats to follow you to cover up all the trouble that you're across around here, you know, and so, uh, so he read it. He read it, and uh, sure enough, if things went pretty good for a while, and pretty soon again, something blows up, and I go in again, and I've got this book, and I said, Travis, I want you to read this book. He said, Pastor, I've already read it. I said, you've got to read it again. <laughs> There's still some more learning to do. But you know, he worked his way through that one. What an incredible worship leader that guy is. What an incredible guy he is. But, but he had to learn just some basic people skills in order to be effective where he is. You can be the greatest preacher. You can be the greatest uh, theologian or scholar or whatever. But if you don't have people skills, uh, you're probably not going to make it as a pastor. Again, I'm speaking from a pastor's heart here today. Uh, i tell you a story that happened not very far from here. I don't know any names. I don't know the name of the pastor. Uh, actually, it was at Black Forest. Some of you know about that better than I do. And she went to church there a number of years. Her, her, she had a husband that, a good guy, uh, but never attended church with her. One of the new pastors, this happened several years ago, 20 years or so more ago, I don't know. And... Uh, and uh, so she, their new pastor came in, been there a little while. She went to him and said, you know, I would like to uh, do a Sunday uh, dinner, we call it, lunch for you and your wife. And I want you to come out and, and to meet my husband. I'd like to try to get him started to church. I think he's close to it and all. And he said, well, ma'am, he said, uh, I want you to know that as pastor of this church that I do not socialize with the members of this church. He had it down, didn't he? I don't know if somebody taught him that's what you do. I've had people say you never build friendships in church. That's goofy dust. Who wants to pastor their whole life with no friends? 
Huh? Not me. Well, somebody think you're prejudiced. Well, let them think it. You know, all of us have our people that have likes and interests like we do. And uh, just let them get over it. You know? Uh, somebody said, well, you never eat lunch with me. And I said, you never invite me. <laughs> I don't know many lunches I ever turned down, no matter who they are, you know. But, but here, here, so it was. Uh, two or three weeks later, he comes in, he asks all of the board members to, to turn in their resignation. You know, I don't know a, a thing in the world about this guy, but I can tell you and would bet my life on it that he's no longer pastor anywhere. Somehow or another, we've got to get across to our people uh, some, some uh, uh, skills, some people skills. We've got to do that. I wish there were classes on that. And just simply teaching them people how to meet people, how to know people. That's kind of stuff. Well, I've got to hurry here. Time's running fast. Uh, then, then let me tell you about old Bob Ferguson. You say, my home church, Grassland, Texas. <laughs> A great church, it really was. Several missionaries come out of that, and pastors, and, and uh, you know, uh, they didn't have all of it down just like we do now, but, but they loved people and met people's needs. And, and uh, there was a pastor there that had been there like 13 years, good guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know what he did with his time. He never visited the people in the community or anything, but uh, I, I, I don't know if they even had computers then so that, that pastors could hide behind. And, uh, and uh, so, uh, but anyhow, he came to him and he said, the church was going down, it's down to about 20 people. And he said, you know, Bob, um, uh, I've got to go to a larger town. I've, I've got to get to a bigger town. And so uh, he uh, said... Uh, if I get a call, I'm going. So he moved to Dallas. A lot of folk in Dallas. And uh, so he's down there. But not much happened down there. But Bob Ferguson comes in. Old Bob, just a good old boy from Florida, Texas. And he comes in. And he looks around. He says, you know what? He said, I'm going to start a ministerial alliance here in this community. And I'll be president. Because I'm the only pastor and the only church that's here. So I'll do it. So here he goes in. Well, there's just a handful of people. During cotton season, all the farmers gathers at the gins and they play dominoes and talk politics and, and talk about how negative the world is and all this kind of stuff. So he'd go down every day and he'd meet with those guys and drink coffee with them and cut up with them. And he'd go in and he'd see this old boy here and he said, you think you're so tough. You're sitting there, that big old stogie in your mouth. He said, you think you're tough, but he said, I bet you ain't got the guts to come up and hear me preach. You ain't got the guts to walk in that church and come up and hear me preach. Well, before you know it, here these guys start coming. Before you know it, in a year or so, they're running over 100 people out here in the middle of nowhere. They're coming in from O'Donnell and Post and Tahoka and Slayton because something's happened. They built a gymnasium, and it was the only place in the world. It was all about an attitude and about people skills, you see. This is what our guys and our gals have got to get a hold of. Okay, I've got to hurry up. Uh, then the, the last thing, it's, it's, is it about that time? Somebody was going to do that when I'm through. <laughs> Got about five minutes here, three minutes. We'll give the, your kids a break. They can come in. Uh, but, but leadership, I, I never had a class on leadership in my whole, whole time. I had to learn by trial and error. Basically, uh, I think I grew up thinking that... Uh, 
you know, you did whatever the church board said. I, I, uh, you would do whatever they led. And I didn't realize till later on in my ministry that I was to be the leader of the leaders. Not a dictator. No. You lead by your own integrity. You lead by vision. You lead by passion. You lead by example, you see. And when you truly become a leader, it becomes scary what the board will give you permission to do after they know what your character is and your integrity and who you are and not by what you demand. If you have to remind people that you're their leader, you're probably not a leader. If you think you're a leader and nobody's following you, you're not a leader. You're just on a long, lonely walk. You've got to train these people. You've got to tell them. They've got to do it. They've got to read the leadership books. They've got to know what it is. Maxwell, who's all kinds of books on leadership, he says everything rises and falls on leadership. I had to learn a lot of that to develop the leadership skills. I know that God gives gifts. Some have gifts of leadership and hospitality and all this. I know that. But I think all have a lot more leadership abilities than they know. If they don't have it, they need to be secure enough to bring stronger leaders than they are in the areas of ministry that they're trying to accomplish. I had incredible leaders around me. I get a lot of credit for which I had very little to do in the Grove City Church and also in, in the Hereford Church. And I tell them a lot of times, I know there were times when, when it, uh, it was like uh, the, the plane is going down the tarmac and it's picking up speed and I'm running for all that I can to catch it and I'm saying, wait on me, I'm your leader, you know. And that's true. People that had more leadership abilities and skills than I, but I was secure enough that it didn't threaten me. They gave me a rough time all the time because I'm computer illiterate. <laughs> they thought that was the funniest thing, all these young bucks and they're high tech, you know, they do all this stuff. And I said, hey, you're not so smart. I can do things you can't do. I knew they couldn't do it. I said, I can milk a cow. Not a one of you could milk a cow if your life depended on it. <laughs> so, so you're smart in what you learn, see. <laughs> I wish now I'd have learned it, you know. It's a, it's a challenge now without that. I had too many people who were too good and I didn't have to do it. Uh, the importance of leadership. And then the last thing that I just briefly throw out to you. Teach your pastors to be passionate. <laughs> Teach them to have a vision. I never forget, uh, Dr. Graves, when I went to, uh, to Seoul, Korea back in 1985. I always wanted to know how people did it. <laughs> I went to Jack Howell's deal, man, and I learned some things. I learned some things about leadership. I learned how not to do some things, too. Uh, and then, then I remember going uh, to Seoul, Korea. I wanted to see the, how the pastor, the world's largest church at that time, was running half a million members. And of course, we couldn't do the same thing here as they did there, but, but there were some principles that I believed that would work. And so, so I went, and I'll never forget, as he spoke to a group of us pastors one day, he said... Tell me your vision, and I will prophesy your future. Tell me your vision, and I will prophesy your future. Is that biblical? As your faith, as your vision is 
so be it unto you. And somehow or another, we've got to get some of these very basic things. And whatever class you're teaching, you can teach these things, whether they're special classes or not, but you can teach that. To be passionate, to be visionary, to dream big dreams. You see, and I've always thought, I was never one that was, was great to, to set goals. I, I, I had my goals, but I, I wasn't saying we're going to be running this amount this time and this amount and this amount. And it's okay to do that. I'm not going against, but I didn't. But I had dreams uh, of, of bringing the right people around me. I had dreams of impacting our city for God. I had dreams that somehow or another that, that we could reach an entire community for God. I, I dreamed the big dreams. It wasn't just daydreaming. There's a difference between dreaming and daydreaming. But I dreamed it. And I, and I realized that, that in my goals and my dreams is I would set them in my mind. If, if we're running 600, I, I dreamed that one day, that sure, we could be running 1,000, see. And then when we got to 1,000, you see, I'm back here. And, and, then, and then when I get to 1,000, I'm saying, man, we can run 1,500 here. We can really do it. See, my faith is really starting to take hold. I don't know how we're going to do it, but here's some changes we'll have to make. And, this, and then when we get to 1,500, I'm thinking, wow, we can, we can, we can run 2,000. We get to 2,000, then 3,000 doesn't look that big. It's not like back here someday I'm sitting in my office and I said, well, someday we're going to run 3,000 people. Not at all. Not at all. Didn't work that way for me. But I'm saying... There's no shortage of sinners wherever you go. There's plenty of people to reach. Get outside the box. Get outside your own local church. Some pastors never know anybody in their community. They never know anyone that's, that's outside their church. My former banker called me yesterday. Bob, just thinking about you. How's that snowland doing? Man, next time I come to town there, you better be there. He has a son that lives here. He said, I just want you to know we miss you here in the community. Never came to my church ever unless it was at a big play or something, you see. But it doesn't matter. They're all God's children. And when we just do things for God's sake and not our own church and our own little world, God can bless that. So teach this to your to your students. I'm sure you are. And I probably haven't told you anything new at all. But I, I marvel at how God wants to do His work through His people. And you are such an incredible people that the response is... What an awesome responsibility. I, you have to be almost like these military people. Thinking, we've got... We've got to somehow or another save our country. We've got to save our world. We've got to save our church. We've got to save the people that are lost. And somehow or another that has to ooze out of the pores of those that have such influence. Father, I thank you today that you're an awesome God, that you give us opportunities beyond anything we ever deserve. I thank you for NBC. I thank you for the way your hand has been upon it, the way that you're directing, and the way that you're going to direct it in the years to come. Lord, I pray that you give great wisdom in each and every class that is being taught. I pray that they are never just a job, 
but it's always a ministry to every person that is connected to this great school. I pray for great wisdom for Dr. Graves and Cheryl as they lead this church, this, this, this school that leads these churches as they go out. I pray for the power and the anointing of God to rest upon each one. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm three minutes over by my watch. Thank you. God bless. He's given us the benediction. <laughs>